Hi everyone, Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us and he has a word for you today, we are sure of it. Take some time out to listen and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. You know what family, before we pray today, we're gonna do what we have listed in Wesley Chapel as your Bible confession. And we like to do this confession before we actually start digging into the Word of God. It's gonna flash before you, and we're gonna read this confession together. Give it a second. I know I have it in front of me, but I also look, okay, you have it behind you. All right, if you have your Bibles, no matter what form they take, it could be electronic, it could be old school, flip the page, that's good with me too. But lift them up and let's say this confession. Let's go. This is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says it can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God breathed, and I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out into the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God and shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, family. I am inviting you into a conversation that's already in session. And because the conversation is already in session, I need to give some of you a primer to make sure that we're all on the same page. In doing so, my hope is that each and every heart receives something that's beneficial and enriches your life. In Romans chapter 7, Paul is talking, and Paul, among other things, gets to a point to where he says, you know what? I know I'm an imperfect man. I know what I'm supposed to do, and I know what I'm not supposed to do. The thing that's most frustrating, though, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, is that the things that I know I'm supposed to do, I don't do those things. But then there are some things that I know I'm not supposed to do, and I'm all over that. (laughs) He says, I'm just doomed. As a matter of fact, when I look at my sinful self by myself, all, all alone by myself, the only thing I can say is that, gosh, I should be condemned. He closes that chapter, though, by saying, but I thank God for the gift of Jesus. Because, and you have here Romans chapter 8, verse 1. I want you to read that with me. Because, ready, let's go. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Loved ones, our topic du jour today is condemnation. Let's pray and get started. God, I thank you for each and every person here. We never take it for granted, this opportunity that we have to come and minister together. I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person. I also pray that everybody under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message today that they can use and make their lives better. God, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but they will be able to use this word and make their lives better immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Today, what we're going to do is something akin to surgery. And in surgery, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you that primer I told you about, some pre-op. Now, some of us, my kin that I brought with me, they're already pre-opted. So this is your pre-op. I'm also then going to make two incisions. And then we're going to stitch you up. Hopefully, I'm good at stitching you up because preferably I want you better than how you walked in here. 
you're going to notice that a lot of what I talk about is very individual specific. And being individual specific, you may say to yourself, but pastor, dude, bruh, we're in a family series. What's up with the individualism? Well, I'm glad you asked that because the series being family, it may feel a little odd that we're talking about individuals, but it's not odd at all. Why? Because a family or a family network is made up of individuals. If the individuals are good, more than likely, the whole will thrive. On the flip side, if the individuals are broken, then that family, that network, that group is going to struggle to become everything in the earth God wants it to be. So what's my approach? My approach is simple. My approach is that I'm going to hopefully, prayerfully do my best. My aim is to give health and healing to the whole by breathing life into its parts. Very simple. On that note, here come your pre-op your first image. What we're talking about today is condemnation. Condemnation, loved ones, it'll it'll show up there soon. It'll be an image all in black. Condemnation is what we're doing exploratory surgery for. And condemnation is a judgment that expresses As far as the subject is concerned, when condemnation looks at the subject, it expresses you're disapproved. You're unworthy. You're unloved. You're unforgivable. You're bad. You're awful. You're guilty. That's what condemnation does. Condemnation, that thing grows and thrives in the soil of life events that, guess what, leave you with bruises, wounds, scars. And condemnation can come from the outside, but it also can come from within. When condemnation comes from within, what we call that is self-condemnation. That's the state where you are the victim of your own reproof. With condemnation, you take everything that condemnation is, you turn it around on yourself, and you start using words like I and me. You say, I disapprove of me. You say, I am unworthy. I am unlovable. I am unforgivable. I am bad. I am awful. I am guilty. Self-condemnation. Self-condemnation and condemnation in general, it doesn't matter how it comes, that bad boy is a weight. And that weight, when it's in your life, It keeps you from being everything in this earth that God wants you to be. Condemnation puts you in bondage. It binds you to certain negative feelings like guilt, shame, pity, all of those things, regret. And guess what? Family, God don't want you living that way. Condemnation puts you in a con- under a continual, low-lying black cloud. And when we're talking condemnation, know that we're talking in a global sense. Anything in life where life has left you hurt, bruised, and guess what? Because of it, changed. That's your pre-op. 
Now I'm finna turn the anesthesia on. <laughs> and we gonna do the first incision. You know, it's a funny story here. Check this out. You know, I don't know, I'm sure a lot of you, but I've had procedures before where they had to put me under, you know? And first of all, I don't like that terminology. Don't put me under. Just say you're gonna put me to sleep. Put me under sounds more permanent. You feel me? You're freaking me out, doc. So, but they're gonna put me under. And it's so funny because they always say the same thing. Now, we're getting ready to start. We want you to count backwards from 100. And one time I asked them because I thought I had got to about 85. I'm talking, I, in my mind, I was 99, 98, 97, 90. I mean, I was, I was getting it. I woke up, them people told me I got to 98. <laughs> my wife told me, she said, you know what that mean? I said, what? That mean we can never do drugs. <laughs> She said, we would be a mess. We'd be just gone. I didn't even start my, my timer on my watch. I start my timer so that it will give me a clue that said, hey, it's time to let these people go home. But here we go. The first incision. And for the first incision, we're going to step into the books of Samuel. Starting with 1 Samuel chapter 31. Here you go. Get your image. You have three scripture references here. And I'm going to start with 1 Samuel chapter 31 verse 6. In the easy to read, it says, So Saul, his three sons, and the boy who carried his armor all died together that day. Not a good day for them. All died together that day. Now jump into 2 Samuel Still easy to read, chapter 4, verse 4. It says, Saul's son Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth. He was five years old when the news came from Jezreel. Yeah, Jezreel, that Saul and Jonathan had been killed. Reference back up to right, 1 Samuel chapter 31. The woman who cared for Mephibosheth picked him up and ran away. But while running away, she dropped the boy, and he became crippled in both feet. The voice Bible, the excerpt we want to take there is from the end. It says, in reference to him being dropped, it says, he had been lame ever since. Family, many of us can relate to this. Oh my God, they can't see me online. <laughs> Let me get close to you real quick. This is my love right here, getting in your face. Come on, give me some, give me some. I'm gonna get on online, Listen, come on, give me some. So I can't be down here with y'all no more. They making me go on stage. My Lord. You know, all them people, only can get all four, 5,000 people in here. You know, they should just come in the church. But, okay, here we go. And plus, I'm a little, I, I got, I'm a little mocha than most, so they probably should. I see a jacket teaching, but I can't tell. Is it a man? Is it a woman that got long hair? The voice sound deep, but I can't tell. It says, which I'm going to turn here now, because this one is easier for me to read than that one. She dropped the boy, and he became lame, crippled in both feet, and he'd been lame, according to the voice, ever since. Many of us can relate to this. When the Bible introduces us to Mephibosheth, he is five years old on his way to living a normal life, and then somebody dropped him and injured him severely. According to the Voice Bible, guess what? He's been lame ever since. So how do we relate to this? Many of you were going along in life, doing well, expecting a normal life until somebody dropped you. Somebody dropped you, and you've been lame ever since. 
You understand what I mean. You put your trust in them and they dropped you. <laughs> when they said what they said and they did what they did, they betrayed you. They dropped you and it hurt. And guess what? You've been lame ever since. You gave that person your heart. They said they loved you. Guess what? They stood on the altar. Can I go this far? I can go right here, right? Okay, I just want to nod. I don't want to be out of order. Okay, I'm good. Thumbs up. Thank you. I can go right here. So what they did was they stood at an altar and they said, I do. But every single action after that said, I don't. What am I saying? They stood there and you gave them your heart and then they dropped you. They dropped you and it hurt. They dropped you and left you injured and you've been lame ever since. They said you can count on them. They said they would always be there for you. <laughs> it's a tag team, I guess. <laughs> you know what? I'm visiting, so I'm going to let it flow with it. Yeah, at your auntie's house, just do what your auntie do, you know what I mean? <laughs> so here we go. They, they said they'll always be there for you. They said that they weren't ever going to let you down. But when you needed them, guess what? They weren't there. You couldn't find them. You used all the proper channels. You tried to reach out to them every other time that you did. It worked before, but you couldn't get them. No call back, no text back, no, no nothing back, no doorbell ring at the house. You tried it. They said they would always be there for you, and you reached out to them rascals, and they were not there. And guess what? It hurt. They dropped you, and it hurt. They dropped you. Ooh, and worse yet, not only could you not reach them, you later found out that guess what? They were avoiding you. It's not that they didn't get the message, that they couldn't call you back. They didn't want to. They dropped you and it hurt. And you've been lame ever since. But we don't have to just point at other people because sometimes you drop you. Sometimes you drop yourself. Sometimes you are the one who let you down. You are the one who fail you. You are the one that pull up short for you. Sometimes it's you. It's not anybody else. It's you. You are the one that made that wrong negative decision. You are the one that did that thing that damaged your marriage. You are the one that did that thing that now causes you to, guess what, not have any friends. You ended that friendship. It was your bad decision, not nobody else. You dropped you. Sometimes you are the person that does this wrong negative thing that has consequences in your life. Because of the decision you made, now it's hard to get a job. Now it's hard to get a loan. Now it's difficult to have a child. Now it's hard to see your kids. Sometimes you drop you. Sometimes it's not anybody else. You drop you. But guess what? It don't matter who dropped you whether it's outside or inside, when you get dropped, when you get bruised, when you get injured, guess what happens? You end up in your life generating a scar or a label that allows other people to latch onto it and either condemn you or worse yet, you latch onto it and condemn yourself. And get this, there's also something else with this whole condemnation thing. The issue is when you're dealing with condemnation, sometimes the stuff that you did back then has an, what's the word, unintended outcome. And that unintended outcome is that the stuff that you did back then has a tendency 
to cause you to take actions that impact your relationships right now. What do I mean by that? Let's assume we have a woman and she's in a relationship with this guy. Don't matter what the guy is, just the guy. But he's not nice to her. He's not good to her. He's not good for her. He dings her heart up really bad. Guess what? He dropped her. Now, they're no longer together, which is good. And don't feel so bad for her because now she's met a new guy. And guess what? He's a really, 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 really good guy. And guess what? He treats her very, 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 very well. As a matter of fact, they've gotten married. Look at God. <laughs> right? That's what you say. Look at God. That's how we do that thing. Look at God. She's with this new guy. And he has done nothing wrong. But you know what? She is not as patient with the new guy as she could be. She's not as, you know, trusting of the new guy as she should be. She's not as kind to the new guy as she should be. In her subconscious, she doesn't realize it. But what she's doing is she's allowing the scars from the old guy to filter its way down through the new relationship. Now, I'm going to tell you something right now. I want you to write this down because you're going to want to write this. You're going to want to tell somebody this. Let me tell you what she's doing. You ready for this? She's allowing... Yeah, right down. She's allowing the pain of the guy who dropped her to fuel her attack on the man who caught her. Now, the same thing can be with a man. He's with, a, he's with a, a lady, she just dogging my, whatever it is the case, doing wrong, and he gets dropped. And he's been lame ever since, but he meets a new woman. She's good to him, but what does he do? He doesn't trust her like he should. He doesn't, he doesn't speak as kindly as he could. He doesn't do all the things that a trustworthy relationship has because he, he's allowing the scars from the previous relationship bleed through to the new one. The same with him. He's allowing the pain of the woman who dropped him to feel his attack on the woman who caught him. What about parents? It's the same. We can have a parent. Two children. Five years apart. That first one, a challenge. Ain't no way around it. You hear people say, well, ain't children, you can't say children are bad. This one will test that. <laughs> I, don't need no, I don't need no consensus on that. I've been a parent. Sometimes they'll test that. And so what happens? That child, because that parent's already str always struggling with that first child and button heads with that first child, you end up with discussions and what happens. It seems counterintuitive, but because of the words that the child tells the parent, because the child is mean, because the child is hateful, and the parent is trying not to retaliate because they love their child, that parent gets the scar. And the child drops the parent. A heart drop. But here comes child number two. A good kid wanting nothing more than to please the parent. But that parent is not as trusting of this child as they could be. They are not as kind to this child as they could be. 
They are, they are not as, as, as considerate of child number two as they could be. Why? Because they are allowing the pain of the scar, of the drop, of the injury of the first child to bleed through into their relationship with the second child. They are allowing the pain of the child who dropped them to fuel their attack on the child that's trying to catch them. Condemnation, these scars, these injuries, that's bad stuff, loved ones. And God don't want you living that way. Mm, incision number two. Incision number two, we're going to go to Luke chapter 13. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus is at a synagogue doing what Jesus do. And an event takes place. What's that event? I'm glad you asked. Here we go. If starting in Luke chapter 13, verse 10, New King James Version. Now he, meaning Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. This poor woman. This is a bad situation. She is living her life bent over. And living her life bent over and is unable to pick herself up. If, loved ones, you happen to be living in condemnation, you are this woman. In effect, you're living your life bent over. You're walking the earth bent over. Imagine her reality. She's been over all the time, never being able to stand herself straight. She's been over. Never being able to feel the warmth of the sun fully on her, on her face. Never being able to feel the wind fully on her face. Never being able to really get her life on balance because she's been over. Never being able to look her loved ones in the eye. She's been over by a spirit of an infirmity. If you are living with condemnation, you are this woman. You're living your life been over. Hey, and guess what? Her view, because she's been over all the time, her primary view is, guess what, of her feet. That tells me that her condition allows her only to see her present condition. Her condition only allows her to see where she is. And it restricts her ability to see all the possibilities of the places she can go. She's always looking down. She's always looking at her feet. That means she has a limited view of life. More than likely, because of how she's living, this woman is probably known more for her condition than by her name. Have you ever noticed somebody like that? Now, I'm not picking on anybody in here. I'm going to say the word usher. Any usher in here, I'm not picking on you. But have you ever noticed someone who have, they have been known more by the reflection of their scar than their name? You asking somebody trying to get to identify a specific usher, just in general, usher, and you can't pinpoint it until somebody say, you know, the mean usher. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 I know that. <laughs> you laugh because it's true. <laughs> They're identifiable by the way their scar is bleeding through in their actions. It's... It's just the fact. 
condemnation gets you like that. And guess what? Because she looks down all the time, nobody really gets a good look at her face. The same with you. If you're living with condemnation, you're walking bent over, and guess what? The people you love never really see your face. Somewhere out there, maybe even in this crowd, there is a man who is a husband to some great woman, but you know what? That woman has never really seen his true face because he's living behind an injury. Something happened to him and he's been lame ever since. Who he shows her is not the real him. Somewhere out there, there's a woman who's a wife and her husband has never really seen her real face. Oh yeah, they see the physique. They see the person standing before them, but the person before them is not the real person because that person is hidden behind a scar. They're hidden behind the scar, and they wonder, and I know sometime down deep in your gut, they, that, that husband is wondering, I don't know what goes on, but she always seems to shut down when I lovingly try to touch her there. All he feels is that he's trying to lovingly touch his wife, but he doesn't know he's touching a scar. So she shuts down. She backs away. She... Let's not do that. Somewhere out there, there is a wife who's trying to engage her husband, but whenever she brings up a certain topic, he shuts down. He runs away. He gets aggressive. He doesn't want to talk about it. And she can't wonder, she can't figure out why. Well, the him that you see is not the real him because the him that you want to see is really behind the scar, and he won't let you see that part of him. He's going to put the part of him before you such that you can't get to that tender place. Living behind the scar. Somewhere there's a child who's never seen their real parent because mommy and daddy are parenting hurt. They're parenting through a scar. They're parenting through a history. They're parenting through a memory. They can't really bring themselves to really get past it. So what they do is they put up a mask, and who that child sees is really someone playing mommy, somebody playing daddy, but not the real person. Somewhere out there, there is a parent who hasn't seen their real child. Oh, yeah. Children get scars, too. How they say, if you don't know, you're best to ask somebody. And because they've been injured, because they've been hurt, they've shut down. And what they project for their parent maybe is the child that they think the parent wants to see, but it's not the real them. And you say, well, Pastor, all this talk, I thought we were talking about condemnation. Oh, condemnation, condemnation is about scars. Because when something happens to you, if you have a bad relationship, you can turn that thing on yourself and self-condemnation says, I'm not worthy of being loved anymore. Or even if it wasn't your fault the way they treated you, you say, I should have seen it coming. I should have got out of the way. I did that to myself. How did I stay there so long? And once you get that thing looping in your head, guess what you start to say to yourself? I'm not worthy. You have guilt. You have regret. You have shame. I'm good for nothing. All of this has another fine point, though. Say, Pastor, what's the fine point? I like it when you talk to me. Pastor, what's the fine point? The fine point is this, and this is one that I want to say very carefully. So listen to me closely. Condemnation can even mask, M-A-S-K, mask itself as the blessed life. It can mask itself as the blessed life. Give me a second. They, they, they roasting chicken up here. 
Jesus. I tried to last as long as I could. <laughs> like, they're going to base me in a, in a minute. Whew, thank you, Jesus. But condemnation can mask itself as the blessed life. What do I mean? I want you to imagine you have a person. And that person can be you. It doesn't have to be you. But if we were to personalize it, we would say you. But let's keep it general. There's a person. There's a person who is, you know, they've made it. They've made it big. They have, you know, got the job they wanted and the resources. They have the businesses popping off. Their investments are doing well. Everything, the, 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 the career that they want is really doing well. And guess what? Because they have all these things working, they bless their family richly. On the outskirts, on the outside, that all sounds good and all it looks good, and, but, but everything isn't as it appears. It's not so black and white as it appears. You see, a little deeper investigation reveals that that person grew up under the scenario where people picked at their hair. They did it the best they could. could. Their mom and daddy did it the best they could. Their auntie did it the best they could. They just, that's, that's, that's the hair, dude, that money could buy back then. Well, people picked at their hair. Picked at their clothes. Picked at their shoes. Picked at the house they lived in. Picked up, picked at everything. Just pick, 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 pick. Picked at every issue that, here we go, additional financial resources could solve. And as they went through all of this stuff, they got a scar. Now, let me be careful with this because I want you to not misunderstand me. I am not saying, absolutely not saying, tell your neighbor, pastor's not saying this. All right, now. So I don't want to, if y'all online, don't be, don't be typing nothing funny. And when they got that chocolate milk while I said that part, then see, you should have stayed locked in. But here's what I'm not saying. I am not saying or even implying that there is anything wrong with blessing your family or your loved ones. I'm not saying that. So don't get so emotionally involved in the story that you missed the message. What I am saying is that this person is blessing their family richly and it's behind a scar that they're saying, way back when, if I ever make it big, my family will never go through what I went through. And so as they're doing all of their blessing of their family, it on the outside looks fine. But when you get underneath, when you pull up the curtain a little bit, you find that everything isn't as it appears. What you find is they, the way they provide for their loved ones is less about blessing them and more about doing battle with their old scars. It's, it's more about that than anything. Now, the family benefits, but if the person really could see the why, the why has less to do with the person you're looking at and more of the memory you're looking back at. And when you're under that scenario, I'm going to give you a quick parent nugget. I didn't plan to say this, but let me give you a quick parent nugget. When you're in that scenario, because my, my wife and I are better than how we grew up. We haven't, quote, unquote, made it. 
But we've come a long way. And when you have that as a parent, I've told a lot of my stories. We, we grew up with a lot of stuff we just didn't have. My wife grew up, she had a lot of things she didn't have. But when you're a parent, if you're not careful, there are times when good parenting would say you don't give it to your child. But because you're battling your scar, you end up giving the child something that you shouldn't because you don't want them to feel like you did when really what you're doing is doing battle with yourself and you're failing the child at the same time. Because guess what? Condemnation can mask itself even in the blessed life. Give me my next image. Let's, let's, let's pick up the pace. So this woman here, she's got this infirmity. Jesus comes and he says in verse, it says in verse 12, but when Jesus saw her, he called to, he, hold on, let me start over. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, woman, you are loose from your infirmity. Ah, oh, we getting ready to stitch you up now. We getting ready to get my needle and thread out. We've done enough poking around in there. I think I've gotten a lot of hits on a lot of different comments. But let's, let's, now it's time to start stitching you up. Because Jesus says, you need to be loose from your spirit of infirmity. You need to be loose. We goes on to say, and he laid hands on her, and immediately she was made right, made straight, and glorified God. God wants to make you straight. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, mm, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, and he said to the crowd, "There are six days on which men ought to work; therefore, come and be healed on them." and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, hypocrite, exclamation mark, I like that. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose, loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to, to water it? Okay, verses 13, 14, verses 14 through 15, I know I got it bolded, but we're going to skip that for now. We're going to put that on post-op if we get there. If we don't get there, just know there's more. But here we go. Verse 16. Jesus says, so ought not this woman being the daughter of Abraham, who Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath. Jesus says that this woman ought to be loosed from what she's been dealing with, ought to be loosed from her pain, ought to be loosed from her scar, ought to be loosed from her wound, ought to be loosed, and not because she did anything to earn it, but because of the family she belongs to. She's a daughter of Abraham. But look at somebody and say, hold up now. Hold up now. Jesus says she should be loose because she's a daughter of Abraham. Guess what Paul says in Galatians? Hit me with it, video lady person back there. Paul says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ. Anybody in Christ in here? For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, therefore there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you, all, you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and you are heirs according to the promise. If you're living under condemnation, you have the right to be delivered, not because of anything that you've done to earn it, but because of the family you belong to. You are Abraham's seed. You are in Christ. And if you are carrying the weight of condemnation, it has no right to bind itself to you. When you acknowledge it, and when you take hold of it, you begin to realize that you have a right to be free from your spirit of infirmity. You have a right to it. 
And when you realize that you have a right to it, your life takes a turn for the better. Ooh, get me back to, get me back to Mephibosheth. I apologize for skipping, but I want to get you, I want to get you where you want to get to. If we ever get another chance to come back, we just fill in the gaps. Amen. Here we go. Mephibosheth, take me to 2 Samuel chapter 9. So we talked about 2 Samuel chapter 4, chapter 4. Now you know how the Bible is. A lot of stuff goes on between these chapters. People get slapped, people get killed. Whole, it's, it's Bible. It's Old Testament Bible. A bunch of thugs in the Old Testament Bible. You mess with the wrong person. <laughs> like for real. But here we go. Here we go. Let's, let's get you there. Let's puddle jump. Second Samuel chapter 9, starting in verse 1, easy to read. David asked, is there anyone still left in Saul's family? I want to show kindness to this person. I want to do it for Jonathan. Jonathan was his friend. Now, he asked around, people go, yeah, there's this dude, Jonathan had a son, and they go and say, here, Jonathan has a son still living. He is crippled in both feet, and they go on to say he's living in Lodabar. Mephibosheth is living with a scar, like many of us. And he's living in Lodabar, which means no pasture, or no thing, or people refer to as a nothing place. Mephibosheth and his injury are living in a nothing place. But guess what? The king is searching for him. And the king is searching for him, not because he's earned it, but because of who he's affiliated with. If you're under condemnation, what you are doing right now is through you and your injury are living in a nothing place. But God sent me here today to tell you that the king is searching for you. The king is on the hunt. And he's on the hunt not because you've earned the hunt, but because of who you belong to. Flip me again. Now, verse 5 through 8, David finally gets Mephibosheth in front of him. And he says, verse 7, don't be afraid. I will be kind to you because of your father, Jonathan. I will give back to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul, and you will always be able to eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed to David again and said, I am no better than a dead dog, but you are being very kind to me. Now the king has told Mephibosheth that I'm here to do kind things to you. I'm here to do you right and make you happy. I'm here to do you good and make you happy. And I want to give back to you all. When you got injured and things happened, it feels like it felt like life extracted everything beneficial from you. But because you're now with the king, I have the authority to give you back all. But look at Mephibosheth, because condemnation can make you reject even an invitation from the king. He says, I am no better than a dead dog. When you're living under condemnation and God is telling you through his word, he's telling you through his spirit, you are mine, you are my ambassador, I have everything, a cattle on a thousand hills are mine, I'm going to supply your every need, but you still say, I'm unworthy, I'm unforgivable, I am guilty. But the king is saying, I'll give back to you all. You look back at your life and you say, I don't know how I can ever recover. But you serve the God that can give you back your all. Now, ultimately, Mephibosheth must have been like, okay, cool. Cool, I'll take that. I'll take that offer. But now here we go. I'm going to push it to the wrap up. 
verses 9 through 13, David talks to some uh, another guy, and he says, hey, listen, I want y'all to do stuff for Mephibosheth so he ain't got to work no more. That's my summary. It ain't exactly that. Read it for yourself. So he says, that ain't work no more. But here's the, here's, the, here's the bottom part. In verse 11, so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Hallelujah. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. All the people in Ziba's family became Mephibosheth's servants. He picked up servants. Good Lord. Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. He was crippled in both feet. And every day he ate at the king's table. All right, let's check this out. Mephibosheth, with his injured self, because he accepted the, the, the offer of the king, he's now living a new life. He's eating at the king's table. Not eating by himself, not eating scraps, but eating good at the king's table. Plus, he's no longer living in a nothing place. He's living in the capital city. He's living in Jerusalem. Why? All because he accepted the king's offer. And guess what else? Look at this. This is this is a this is a go no don't don't go to go back to the first. We're gonna get there. But just look at this. Now notice, he's still crippled in both feet. So the evidence of life is still on him, but he's getting healed on the inside. Just because you wear a scar, it doesn't mean you can't be healed from the inside out. And here's the kicker. A lot of people miss this. He had a young son named Micah. Good Jesus, good Lord, hallelujah, hallelujah, mercy Jesus. Micah. Why is that so important? Shout it with me. Go to my next one now. The name Micah means who is like God. So when Mephibosheth was getting ready to name his boy, and he looked at his life right now, compared to the life that he had back then, Every time he opened his eyes and looked at his current situation in the capital city, at the king's table, having service, having lands, he says, who can do anything like this but God? Yeah. Who is like God? No one. Every time he saw his boy, who can take me from a nothing place and bring me into where I am? Who can do that like God? Who is like my God? No one. God can do that for you. Get this. I believe down deep inside, you know what he said? You've heard it sung before. He said, when I look back over my life and I think it over, I can truly say that I've been blessed I've got a testimony. God took me from a nothing place to the capital city. When I look back over my life and I see I was crippled, I see I was lame, I see I was scarred, I can truly say that I've been blessed. I've got a testimony. I got food on the table. I didn't have food before, but right now I can truly say that I've been blessed. I've got a testimony. Tell me who is like God. Nobody. 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 And God wants to take you to the same place where you are not in bondage to your condemnation. Life happened, yes. Life continues to happen, yes. But your God is greater. If you accept the invitation from the king and really give him your hurt, give him your pain, 
Give him your worry. Give him your scars. Give him your bruises. Give him your wounds. If you really give that to him, one day you will look back over your life and you will think it over and you will say to yourself, I have truly been blessed because you have a testimony. If you're carrying condemnation, drop the weight. If you're carrying condemnation, put it down. What are we here to tell you? Next one. Family, we're doing a condemnation, emancipation proclamation. That's a mouthful. But you need to put down the condemnation. Why? Because you are in Christ, so you need to be free. You are Abraham's seed, so you need to be free. Hey, look at this. From any past pain or hurt, you need to be free. From any past guilt or shame, you need to be free. You need to drop the weight. Because that weight limits you. Free yourself to be the man God called you to be. Free yourself to be the woman God called you to be. Free yourself to be the parent God called you to be. Free yourself to be the wife God called you to be. Free yourself to be the husband God called you to be. Free yourself to be the sister or the brother God called you to be. Free yourself to be the child God called you to be. Free yourself to be the person God called you to be. Free yourself. 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 Drop the condemnation. We're not going to make your post op. But here's my final stitch. It's important that you drop the condemnation. Because being the best person you can be is the best thing you can do for your family. Living hurt, living guilty, living with regret, that is not profitable for you. It causes you to make decisions that ruin your relationship or, or limit it at best. Condemnation is a bad, bad weight, and it has no place in you while you're trying to operate the best for your family. So here is, here, here is, here is, here is my, my, my final nod to you. And then we can clap it out. (laughs) My final nod to you is this. I can do my best to allow God to use me to do the most good, the word escapes me, but the most precise surgical procedure spiritually that I can. But condemnation is one of those things that I can help you find it, but I can't make you put it down. In that regard, the whole reason we went through all the different types of examples of where condemnation can show up is that hopefully, while we're doing exploratory surgery, we, we touched your spot. And that there is something in you that says, I need to get rid of that. Because it's holding me back from being everything that God called me to be. Amen. 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 Let's pray, family. God, I thank you that every person here are here or listening online with ears to hear. Life happens to us all. But where we do not want to be is we don't want to be in a place where we're holding onto the memory and it's suppressing us with condemnation. 
Jesus didn't do all that he did to free us for us to put ourselves into self-bondage. The Bible tells us that if we are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. My prayer is that everyone, quite simply, if you're carrying it, drop the weight and go on to live the life God has planned for you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.